Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Today we are continuing our series in the book of Ephesians, and um, it's been a fun series. Uh, it's been an interesting series, and what we do in a series like this one is we, we take the scripture and then we just drill down and we try to go deep into it. So instead of just lifting a passage out and, and uh, using it uh, in the means we need, we really try to use it in context and say, what were they trying to say at that time, and what are they still continuing to say to us today? Um, and so we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 1, um, and that's where we'll begin. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Uh, the word that's used there for imitators, it's a Greek word, and the same word that's used for imitators is where we get the word mime today. And if you know anything about this kind of thing, a mime is typically a person who will paint their face white. A lot of times you might see a street performer in New York City or in places like New Orleans that they're a street performer and they are out front and they're doing like, I'm trapped in a box. How do I get it? I don't know. But they don't talk, right? So they're, they're doing motions and I can't do them because I'm no mime. Uh, and you know, they've got the rope and they're pulling the rope right? And they're doing, I can't do it, but that's what they do. So what are they doing? They're using actions and motions, and usually they're over-dramatizing their actions in order to communicate a story or communicate an idea. Um, and so it's interesting that that word is the, used, the word that's used here, because what Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus is, um, live out your life in such a way that it is clear what your message is. That your actions should so clearly articulate what your message is that you don't even have to preach. Now, we should be preaching. We should be sharing our testimony and our stories. But Paul is saying, be imitators of God. Mime or mimic God so well, people know what your story is or what your message is. Um, when, when my kids were little, they used to imitate me. They would do what we're doing. You know, when they're real little, they would do, you know, same, the same facial features. You would smile, or you would, ah, ooh, or you'd make a sound and your kids would mimic it. Uh, and it was interesting, it was fun. I always enjoyed that age for my kids because when they were real little, when they were newborns, they were just kind of like there. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. They're eating and pooping and sleeping and that's all they do, which... Describes older kids sometimes too. It's funny. Uh, now that I think of it. Um, but I digress. But when they're real little, that's kind of all they do. And I love my kids, but they weren't a ton of fun when they were that age. But when they started interacting with you, even though they didn't understand it, that was fun. I enjoyed that. And they would mimic you and they would do what you're doing. And this is the interesting thing. They don't even understand what they're doing. They just are mimicking what they see their father or their mother doing. And, and what Paul is trying to communicate here is, as children of God, our job is not to figure it all out. Our job is to mimic our father. Our job is to say, what is my God doing? And then I'm going to do what he's doing. What is he saying? I'm going to say what he's saying. What does he love? I'm going to love what he loves. What does he value? I'm going to value what he values. Even though we might not fully understand it. We might not totally get it. What we do is we mimic. We, we imitate 
our Heavenly Father. And it says, as beloved children. Again, it ties in that just like kids imitate their parents. Um, have you ever heard your kids say something they shouldn't and then you realize, oh yeah, that's because I say that all the time, right? Maybe you've got a swear word because nobody here swears, but maybe you've got a swear word that you'll drop in once in a while and all of a sudden you hear your kid chime in with that word and you're like, oh, where did you hear that? And you go, oh my gosh, they heard that from me, right? You know what they're doing? They're imitating, they're mimicking. Um, so what we need to do as children of God is see what our father does and mimic it. Just do what he does. Say what he says. And that's what Paul is encouraging uh, the Ephesian church to do. In verse 2, it says this, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. <clears throat> walk in love. A while back, uh, we did a series and we talked about love. Um, and there, the Greeks had several different words for love. Uh, one of the words was different. It was agape. And it's different because it's a not a naturally occurring love. Um, the love you have for your kids is naturally occurring. Uh, the love you have for your spouse, um, and what, what the Greeks call an eros love or an erotic love, all those things are naturally occurring. But agape love is different because it's an act of will. We have to make ourselves love people with an agape love. Um, this is the love you have for your boss, even though you don't really love your boss. Uh, you, I love my boss, right? Like you love your boss because you have to, that kind of love. That's what that love is. Um, when somebody betrays you, that's the kind of love you have for them. It's not a love that comes naturally. It's an act of will where you say, okay, I know I need to love them because God's called me to, but I don't feel like it and I don't want to, but I'm gonna choose to love them because, because I'm supposed to. And, um, and it's interesting because Paul uses this word. He says, walk in love, agape love, this act of will in the same way that we were loved by God. And it's the same word that God loved us sacrificially he gave his son for us. And so the standard for us is not any other love except the love of Christ, a sacrificial love. Um, we don't measure ourselves against the people in this room. We don't measure ourselves against the people that you work with because that's a much easier standard, isn't it? Because you see the way the people you work with treat their families and treat their wives, treat people. You're like, I love better than them. Well, bad news, that is not the standard. The standard is, do you love in the same way that Christ loves? And if you don't, then you're still falling short. Now, I'm not saying that to condemn you, but I'm saying that to you so you understand we still have a ways to go. We're still not where we need to be. No matter who you are, how old you are, um, if you're not loving the way Christ loves, God's not through with you yet. He's definitely not through with me yet. So he says, love Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us sacrificially. And this is a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Uh, you might see this phrase in scripture. Um, and I never really thought much about it. Um, and when I think of fragrant, something smelling, um, you know, a fragrant smell. I usually think of like something, have you ever walked through the mall? There's not much to walk through the mall for here in Indiana, but if you're walking, it's, it's like a hall. That's what it is. It's a hallway and it's got doors on either end. You can go out. Anyway, so you're walking through the hall here in Indiana and you walk by uh, Bath and Body Works. Is anybody familiar with Bath and Body Works? Some guys raised your hands. That makes me uncomfortable. That's okay. That's all right. Guys want to smell good too, I guess. So you, you walk by and you can't help but smell the smells, right? 
Because they got candles and perfume and lotions and all kinds of stuff. And I'm sure individually it smells nice, but then when you mix it all together, it's like, what is going on in that store? It's just, is, it's strong, right? And this is what I think of sometimes when I think of fragrant. Um, and, and this is not the right idea at all, actually. Uh, because when we look at scripture and we talk about a fragrant offering into the Lord, what it's really talking about is a burnt offering. So if you think God is a vegan, you are wrong. God likes the smell of burned meat. Did you know that? It's true. In Genesis chapter 8, uh, Noah had come off of the ark with his family, and they're, all, they, they're thankful that God helped them survive, and so they offer a sacrifice unto the Lord. It's a, it's a, it's a burned burned sacrifice. It's an animal sacrifice. How, how disappointing would that be if you were the animal that you're like, oh my, we made it. We're on the ark. And they're high-fiving each other. And then they get off the ark and they're like, I'm sorry, you and you come with me. And they're like, no, Carl, no. Right? Like worst day ever. <laughs> so Noah, Noah takes these animals, he offers a sacrifice. And it's interesting because in Ephesians, I mean, I'm sorry, in uh, Genesis, let me skip down. Where is it at? Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. Uh, he offers a sacrifice and it says, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, and this pleasing aroma he's talking about is the aroma of this meat, this animal meat cooking. And so the Lord s- smells it, and it's a pleasing aroma is the way Scripture describes it. Um, and I want to make something clear. God didn't smell it and be like, what, what is that, steak? Ooh, that sounds good. Like, what are you cooking? Yeah, yeah, that smells great. Save some for me. That's not what God was thinking. See, God doesn't care about that sacrifice specifically. What he really cares about is the heart behind the sacrifice. So he smells that, and it's not like God needs dinner. So he smells it, and he recognizes that the heart behind the sacrifice, and he delights in it. It says it's a pleasing aroma. And this word pleasing is interesting. In the Hebrew, the word pleasing actually means um, a restful or bringing tranquility. So what this sacrifice did for God was when he recognized the heart of sacrifice behind it, it brought him rest. He could take a deep breath. He'd go, okay, they get it, right? You ever have a moment like that, maybe with a family member or kid or someone you've invested in, and that moment where the, the light switch turns on, the light bulb goes on for them, and you go, ah, oh, they get it. I feel like this is what God was saying in this moment. So it was a restful moment for God, if we can say it that way. And when we tie it back into this passage in Ephesians, what we're really saying is uh, when we walk in love, when we walk in sacrificial agape love, the same love that Christ loved us with, the sacrificial love that sent him to the cross. Again, no one took his life, he gave his life for us. So when we walk in that love, It says here that it's a pleasing aroma. It says it's a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So in the same way that God looked at Noah's sacrifice sacrifice, and he was pleased by it, he looks at us and goes, oh, they're walking in love. They're they're treating each other well. They're loving each other sacrificially even though they don't feel like it. They get it. And it honors God. It brings rest or tranquility to our God. Some of us, we come to church so we can be blessed by God. But do you know what? Um, When we mature and begin to grow in our faith, our goal switches from being blessed by God to blessing God. And there comes a moment when we realize, I can bless God. How I live can bless God. How I love blesses God. And that's his desire for us. 
It's not just to consume and receive, but to be a blessing. So he talks about this. He says, walk in love, um, walk in sacrificial love with each other. And again, I want to remind you, he's talking to a church, okay? So this is not just to whoever. This is, he's talking to people who profess to be believers in, in a church in Ephesus. So he writes this. He says, walk in love, walk in the same kind of love that Christ did. And then in verse 3, he says this, but sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And he says, let me just warn you. We're about to get a little uncomfortable, okay? Um, so if you need to brace yourself or hold on a little tighter or whatever, it's gonna, we're going to be uncomfortable for a few minutes here because we're going to walk through a difficult passage of Scripture together. He says here, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And you're like, well, Mel, if it's not even supposed to be named among us, let's just save ourselves the grief, right? Let's not even talk about it then. We're good. But that's not what it's talking about. It's really talking about um, Paul's desire and hope that as we mature in our faith and grow in our faith, these are sins and these are things that we lay aside we'll never even have to bring up because they're foreign to us. But that is not a day for today because the truth is uh, the world we live in, and if we're going to be more specific, um, probably many of us in this church deal with sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness. So we're going to walk through this lovingly and gently as possible. Um, when we see this word sexual immorality, uh, the Greek word here is a word you might be familiar with, even if you don't know Greek, and the word is porneia. It might sound familiar to you because it's where we get the word today for pornography. Um, and what it really means is sexual immorality of any kind. So we think, when we think of sexual morality, we think of the big ones. We think of like cheating on your spouse. That's a big one, right? Um, to some degree, we might think of um, sex outside of wedlock. Um, that's becoming much, much more common and much more, much more accepted today than ever before. But I want to make it clear, and I'm not saying this to heap condemnation on you as much to I want to I help you. Um, this is contrary to God's best for your life. Um, and scripture makes it clear. And so I'm not here to tell you you're horrible or you're a terrible pagan or turn or burn, any of those kind of things. Uh, I, want to, I want to help you. And so he's talking about the big ones, like adultery. He's talking about fornication. Um, uh, let's just lump in all kinds of sexual sin that's outside the, the bonds of a man and a woman being married. Can we say that? Let, let's break it on down even. Uh, the reason the word pornea or pornea is used for pornography is because we have to understand that when we view someone who's not our spouse and we view, um, I'm trying to be as sensitive as possible because there are, might be some kids in the room, but when we, we view things that we could label as pornography, uh, it is not beneficial for us. It is terribly 
destructive in our lives. And it is contrary to God's best for us. And there's a reason that he uses uh, covetousness and sexual immorality in the same phrase. And it's because uh, they seem very different, but really uh, when we're talking about pornography, that's what it is. It's desiring something that's not ours. It's desiring a fantasy of some kind. And it's not just things we view. Um, you guys are getting bonus coverage. That's what you get for coming to the 11 o'clock service. Um, but I wanna say this too, uh, and this is not just a guy issue, it's a woman issue as well. And it's not just always something we view, but there are, um, there's erotic literature that some women read that they feel like it's justified and it's not bad because it's just reading. But anything like that can be sexual immorality. So what we have to do is begin to guard our hearts against these things. Um, because it's not just this narrow focus of this one really bad thing. We've got to be careful that all these things can fall into this. It's contrary to God's best for our lives. And it's not that God's saying, I can't believe you do that, but it's more like God's saying, I've got something better for you if you'll just choose it, if you'll just step into it. So he talks about sexual immorality, and that is us doing something. Well, watching something, viewing something, engaging in a conversation, engaging in a relationship, whatever it is, it's doing something. But then he says all impurity, and impurity is interesting because impurity is more, has more to do with our intentions or our thoughts than with something we actually do. So Paul is saying it's not just about what you do, it's about what you would like to do as well. So what Paul's doing is saying it's not just about your actions, but it's about your heart. And we see this over and over and over in Scripture. Uh, and even in, even in Jesus, in the Gospels, uh, Jesus talked about it's not just about what you do, it's about what's residing in your heart that causes you to want to do those things. That we shouldn't just deal with the symptoms, we should deal with the root issue. And the root issue is our hearts are evil and our hearts want what they want. And what we have to do is bring them into line with what God wants for our lives. So he talks not just about what we do, but what we want. And then he says, or what we want to do, and then he talks about covetousness, which is interesting. Because covetousness, like I said, is wanting something that's not ours. So in the world we live in today, social media uh, ramps this up big time. Because we see people posting about their dream vacation. Oh, I took the kids and we went to you know, Disney, or maybe that's not your dream vacation. My, maybe your dream vacation is, we left the kids at home and we went to whatever it is, right? <laughs> But you see somebody on social media, they went on their dream vacation, and you go, well, why can't we go on our dream vacation? Why did they get a dream vacation? We don't get one. Well, why did he get the promotion? I work just as hard as he works. Why did he get it? He got the corner office with two windows. I can't believe he got that. I deserve that. They bought a big new house. I can't believe they got a big new house. Why did they get a big new house? Because they qualified for the big new mortgage. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> one of my daughters the other day said daddy did you know they're rich they've got a big house and I go no baby they just have more debt than we do <laughs> and she's like, oh okay so <laughs> we want what we don't have um, I've got a car 200,000 miles almost 200,000 it's got moderate hail damage it's got I don't know how this happens it's got a check engine light on and it's got a light on that indicates that uh my, my uh, <laughs> there's an issue with the uh, emergency steering system, you know, if you go into a skid. So what I'm saying is don't let your children ride in my car with me, is what I'm saying, right? <laughs> and recently I got the bug for a new car, and I was like, you know what, I deserve a new car. I need a new car. You know, 
I should get a new car. I think that's God's will for my life, that I get a new car. So I started car shopping. Has anybody ever done that before? And you're like, eyes get big, and you just kind of glaze over, and you're like, ooh, we could afford that. That'd be great. And I started looking, and I just realized, why do I think I need that? Because I don't. I, I need it. I deserve it. It's like Lord of the Rings, my precious, right? Like... <laughs> But we do this. I need, I need the new iPhone. I'll have to take out a second mortgage on my house to afford it, but I need it. I need that. I want that. And we desire what we don't have. And what it causes in our hearts at the end of the day is us just to be dissatisfied in what we do have. So I love this because what, what Paul says is he goes through this whole thing and then he, in verse four he says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which is out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And so what he says is, um, put all these things away. The sexual immorality, the impurity, uh, the covetousness, um, the, the, the crude joking, the inappropriate talk. Because those things like, seem like little things, Right? If we're going to be honest, they're not little things. If you watch the news now, crude joking can get you in a lot of trouble, apparently. There are people in Hollywood losing their jobs, and rightfully so. Some of the things they're doing is inappropriate. But we look at those things and we go, oh, it's not that big a deal. It's just joking. It's just words. It matters. So he says, put all these things away. Then he comes back at the end and he says, what? That we should have a heart of thanksgiving. Do you know what he's saying? In order to battle covetousness, we, we do that under the banner of thanksgiving. And I'm not talking about turkey and dressing. What I'm talking about is us saying thank you for what we have. So what helps me battle the desire that I think I need a new car, a brand new, right off the lot, new car, is to say, God, thank you for the car I've got. Man, God, you know what? I've got this car. It's got 200,000 miles. It's got hail damage. Um, it's got a tear in the driver's seat. Um, you know, and the power steering works some of the time. So, but God, you know what? I, I want to say thank you for that. Thank you for a gift that you've given me. I've driven that car for a lot of years. I've got a lot of good years out of that car. So thank you for that. So instead of me saying, God, I, I deserve a better car than this. How about if I say, God, thank you for the car I have. You're good. Instead of saying, um, my job's terrible. My boss hates me. I deserve a better job. How about if we step back and go, God, thank you for the job I've got. There are so many people in our community that wish they had a job, period, let alone a job like I've got. So God, thank you for the job I have. And I'm sorry for the times that I take it for granted because you've given me an opportunity to provide for my family, to support my kids, to take care of my spouse. But, so God, thank you for the job I have. And you know what begins to happen in our hearts is our hearts shift from wanting what we don't have to being thankful for what God has given us. It helps us have a perspective change, to see things a little bit differently when we do that. And Paul understood that. That's why he said to do it. He said, instead, let there be thanksgiving, instead of thinking that way and living that way. Verse 5 says this, For you may, have, uh, may be sure of this, that everyone, say everyone, everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. In the New American Standard Bible, it says, For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God, uh, Christ and God. It's interesting because the English Standard Version is the one I normally read from and study from. And it says, um, 
everyone that is sexually immoral. So it says this whole group of people that do these things and live this way. In a, and let me make it clear. Not in a, I messed up once. I had a thought I shouldn't have had. I had an impure thought. Um, I did something I shouldn't have and I know I shouldn't. I'm repentant of it. But someone who lives a lifestyle of habitually doing these things, he says everyone who does this, they don't have an inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. So their, their, their right as a child has been forfeited. Their inheritance is gone. In this other version, it says, no immoral or impure person or covetous man. So he says, none of these people. So it's interesting because one version says all of these people, and one version says none of these people. And the reason it says it this way, and it's, it's not disagreeing, it's agreeing, but it's interesting that they both communicated a little differently. And the reason is the Greek word uh, that's interpreted there is it's ou. It's, it's spelled O-U, um, and it means all but in some contexts, it can also mean none, <laughs> which makes me believe that a, a, a woman made that word up. You never really know what it means. So you want, me to, you want me to clean all the house? Is that right? Maybe she means none of the house. Hmm. Who can know? It's a mystery, right? But depending on the context, it either means all or it means none. But what it's trying to communicate is there's this idea of totality. So there's not a little bit that's missing from all or none. It is everything. Does that make sense? Uh, a few months ago, you remember when the, the, the eclipse was happening and people were eclipse crazy. You were buying eclipse glasses and doing all these things. Uh, honestly, I didn't care much about the eclipse. Here in Western Pennsylvania, uh, we didn't have a total eclipse. It was a partial eclipse. But people were still excited about seeing the eclipse. And so um, one day during the eclipse, I was sitting in my office and I didn't think much of it. It wasn't that big a deal. And I walk out of my office and there's no one in the office area. And I thought, did I miss the rapture? <laughs> I, my, I may have. And so I walk through and nobody's around. I'm like, well, this is weird. And so I walk out through the auditorium and um, go to the, the lobby and most of our staff is out front and they are taking turns with a welding mask, putting the welding mask on and staring. <laughs> it, it was just funny to see. But we didn't get a, a total eclipse, did we? We got a partial eclipse. But if you want to see a total eclipse, there was this path. And if you looked, it was called the path of totality. And so you could go to this path, you could see where it was. And we actually had a guy in our church that went and stayed with some family and so he could see the total eclipse. But what the total eclipse is, is it's the moment when, uh, the moment of totality is when the moon passes perfectly in front of the sun where you cannot see the sun at all. It can also happen when um, the, the, the sun um, shines and the earth's shadow falls on the moon perfectly where it blocks out the moon. So there's this moment of totality where you can't see any of it. So what's behind is not visible at all. And this is the idea that Paul's trying to communicate. Uh, this is not a little bit like, hey, um, if you're sexually immoral and you're impure, you probably aren't going to have an inheritance. He's saying you will not. He's not saying there's a 90% chance you won't. He's saying you will not have an inheritance. It's total. And, and we live in a world that this makes us wildly uncomfortable because we feel like it's judgmental and we feel like, what are you trying to do? And you're getting into my business. But at the end of the day, this is what Paul is saying to the church. And again, he's not talking to the world. He's talking to believers. This is not a world issue. It's a believer issue. 
And he makes it clear, uh, this, is, this is a big deal. And we need to take it seriously. Yes, our God is a loving, benevolent, caring God. But he's also a righteous God and a holy God. And he, he's coming back for a bride that's spotless and without blemish. And that doesn't mean we're perfect in our own strength. We're perfect in his strength. Thank God. Because none of us can do it on our own. Verse 6 is, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience. I want to remind you again, I just said this, but I want to remind you again. He's talking to the church. And he's describing people in the church as sons of disobedience. He's saying, this is the reason, reason the wrath of God is going to come upon you on the church is because we've allowed ourselves to be sexually immoral and to be impure and to covet. We've allowed the things that, that the world does to infiltrate our hearts and our lives and we think the way the world thinks. And remember, we, we talked a few weeks ago that Paul's been dividing. He's saying, no, 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 this is the way the world is and this is how we are. This is how you used to be and this is how you should be now. So he's drawing this line in the sand and he's saying somewhere along the line, we, we blurred that line and things that are common in the world are now common in the body of Christ. And that is not the way it should be. Things that are accepted in the world are accepted in the body of Christ. And that's not the way it should be. And it's not that we're better or that we condemn, but it's that we should have a standard that's different than the world has. And when we lie to ourselves and we say it's no big deal, we're really only fooling ourselves. Um, because it's not just about what we say, it's about what we do. You know, if there was, um, if there was a person... There was a couple who were married, and one of the spouses, they, they continually, habitually were cheating on their spouse. And they would come back, and they'd say, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. And the other spouse would forgive them and say, okay. But then the next day, it would happen again. They'd come back and say, I'm so sorry. Uh, please forgive me. I'll never do it again. But day after day after day after day after day, it kept happening what you'd have to realize is it doesn't matter what your intentions are. What matters is what you do. And so we can have the best intentions. And we can say things like, you know what, I know I shouldn't be looking at porn. And I, my intention is that I'm going to stop and I'm not going to do it anymore. But if you continue to do it, just like the wife who probably would be stupid for staying with a husband that cheated and cheated and cheated and cheated and cheated and continue to say, it's going to be different. This is all different. It's going to get better. But if they're habitually cheating... They can say the right things, but their heart is not shifting and changing. And what we do with God so many times is we go, okay, God, I'm, I'm sorry now. And you have to forgive me because you're God and you love me. So forgive me and I'm sorry. I've had this, been sexually immoral. I've been living an impure life. I've been coveting. So you've got to forgive me, God. And at some point God goes, it's not just about what you say. It's about what you do. Because what we do reflects our heart. This is probably going to be one of the least downloaded podcasts ever in our church. <laughs> Verse 7 says, Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time they, you were darkness, but now you're in light. And the Lord walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not partner with them, is what it says. Do not partner with them. It doesn't say do not associate with them, but it says do not partner with them. What we have to understand is darkness and light cannot intermingle. It doesn't mean we're better 
But what God wants to do is illuminate the world through us, not because of us, but through us. And what happens when you turn a light on is you see what's present, right? You flip on a light and you see, it, it illuminates, it gives you truth of what the room looks like. Um, that's what God wants to do in us. He wants to flip on a light in us that will illuminate the world. Not for the sake of us saying we're better than you. Oh, I can't believe you talk like that or act like that. I would never do that because I'm the light of the world. That's the way we come off sometimes to non-believers. Did you know that? I wouldn't want to go to church either if I came off. I mean, if I met people like that. But what do we do? We illuminate the world so that we can reconcile. So we can go, hey, I don't know if you knew this. Did you, let me turn on the light. Did you know this, 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 your heart was in this condition? Let's talk about this. Because it's not about condemning, it's about reconciling. It's about bringing people to Christ. And not very many people come to Christ whenever they feel like they've been condescended to. <laughs> I haven't argued very many people into the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> but I've loved a few people into the kingdom of heaven. It says in verse 11, Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful to even speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. My girls in the summer, they like to sleep late, and they hate it when I come in and open the blinds and open the curtains and turn on the lights. It's like, oh, you know. The light comes on. It's 10 o'clock, and the light shines. It's like, it burns, ah! You know, like they're vampires. <laughs> Start putting garlic in their bed just in case. I'm not sure. Why? They don't like the light because they're trying to sleep. And the world we live in is asleep. In fact, when it talks about sleeping, a lot of times sleeping is a metaphor for death. Our world is dead. And what needs to happen is we need to turn on the light. We need to be the light. Let the light of Christ flow through us and wake some people up. Help them be aroused to what God has called them to do and who he's called them to be. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. This phrase, making the best use of your time, it's interpreted as redeem. If you have a coupon um, and you take it to the store, you can redeem it. It has value when you redeem it, right? But if you leave it unredeemed, if you just have the coupon, it has no real value because it's not valuable until you turn it in. And then it has its value. What, what Paul is telling the church here is understand that your time is valuable. That your time needs to be used wisely. So redeem it. And your time can be redeemed a number of different ways. What you need to pray about is, God, am I using my time most effectively? Um, there's a passage in Psalm chapter 90. It says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And what it's saying is when I understand that I am finite, when I understand that I don't have unlimited time or unlimited days, that my days are numbered, I'm going to be wise enough to use my days to the best of their ability. I want to maximize every single day. I'm not going to waste a day when I know that I don't have days to waste. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I took uh, some time off and I took some good advice and I was out of the office and I was not here on that weekend <clears throat> And that was the best way for me to redeem my time, was for me to rest. Now, maybe some of you have been resting, and the best thing you can do to redeem your time is to work. <laughs> 
Maybe you've been sitting back. Maybe you haven't been doing much, but now it's time and God says, okay, you need to redeem your time. You need to make it valuable. Get to work, do something. Maybe you redeem your time by investing in your family and your kids. Maybe you've been neglecting that and you haven't been redeeming your time well there. And I'll tell you this, um, there's quality time and quantity time. And I've heard people say, well, I spend quality time with my family. Quality time comes from quantity time. When you spend time with your family, you will get those quality moments, those moments that you dream about where you can talk and share your heart and your life because that's what builds trust so that you can have quality time. That was a side note. How do you redeem your time? Are you numbering your days so that you know the best way you can make use of them and the best way that God can make use of them so that you can be wise enough to use your days well? See, I want to invest in my girls the best way I can because Abby's 15 and Emma's 12 now. I don't have a lot of time left to influence them. The days are numbered. So I want to maximize the days I have. My days on earth are numbered. I know that's morbid after everything we've been talking about today. But let's be honest, my days are numbered. So I want to maximize every single day I have for the glory of God. And when we have that kind of mindset in our everyday life, Scripture tells us that we have a heart of wisdom. That's just wise to live that way. Let me finish up. Verse 17, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I love this. He just tucks this in here. Hey, you want to be wise? Don't get drunk. Be filled with the Spirit. Get baptized in the Holy Spirit and see what He will do in your life. You think it's fun to get drunk? It's even more fun to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. It'll change your life. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always. Again, he comes back to this idea of thanks. Giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I love this because he says psalms and we're singing and songs of encouragement. And basically what he's talking about is not before the preaching we sing, but he's talking about when we gather together, we're encouraging each other because there's two kinds of worship. There's a vertical worship that we're singing to God. We're giving glory to God. But there's also a horizontal worship that, that we're not worshiping the people around us, but what we're doing is we're encouraging them and who God is. So we're telling others about who God is in our worship. Um, and that is an act of worship. So when you come into contact with someone and they're struggling, they've had a bad day and you go, Hey, you know what, man, I, I totally understand that. Let me, let me tell you about our God. Let me remind you who our God is. That is an act of worship that we're declaring the glory of God, the goodness of God, how incredibly good God is. That is an act of worship. And that's what this is describing in our normal everyday life, that we're encouraging others in the Lord and blessing them. And then it, it transitions, there's a transition statement to our next week. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So when we come back to Ephesians, um, we'll talk about um, what it means to submit to each other in a godly way. We'll walk through that together. Um, but when we look at this, it's so easy, this passage today, it's so easy to, um, I mean, let's be honest, it was a heavy topic that we walked through. These are not easy things to talk through. Um, but these are things that are important and they're things that are valuable. And this is what scripture is declaring to us. And so we're not going to water it down and we're not going to avoid it and walk around it. We're going to walk through this together. But maybe you're here and you struggle with some of those things. Maybe you're here and you struggle with sexual immorality. And if we're going to be honest, statistics say probably 70% of the people in this room struggle with sexual immorality to some degree or another. So there's no condemnation at all. I'm not here to tell you how bad you are probably you already feel bad to some degree. 
If you're here today and you struggle with impurity, impure thoughts or motives or your heart, whatever it is, you know. I don't have to tell you. You know. If you're here and you, you realize that you're covetous, you want what's not yours. See, I'm not here to condemn you on any of those things. And neither is God. God's not here to condemn you and tell you how terrible you are. God's here. He wants to shine a light into your life to reveal some things to you so that he can reconcile you. <laughs> That's the beauty of Christ. Thank you, God, that he didn't come to crush us, but to reconcile us. So the beauty of this is if you're here today and you struggle with those things, we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to tell you how terrible you are. What we're going to do is tell you about a God who loves you desperately. We're not going to tell you that you need to turn or burn or any of those old church cliches. What we're going to tell you today is there's a God who has a better path for you than the one you're on right now. And that's what he's inviting you to. That's what he wants you to be a part of. Um, we want to help you today. We want to come alongside you. We want to see God work in your life. And now you've got a choice to make. Do you want that? And if not, that's okay. We're going to continue to love you and pray with you. But if you're here today and you say, I want to make a difference in my life. I want something different than what I've had. I'm tired of the way I've been living. Today's your day. So if you would bow your head and close your eyes, all of this room. Jesus, I thank you that you came to reconcile us. You paid the price for us so that we could know God intimately. So we would no longer be a foreigner, an alien, as it says in Ephesians. But Lord, today we can be child, a child of God, a son and daughter of the King. So God, I pray, the Lord, the things we struggle with, Lord, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, Lord, even our words, joking, all those things, God, I pray we'd submit it all to you. We wouldn't try to fix it ourselves because we can't fix it ourselves. But God, let us submit all those things. And God, more than that, let us submit our hearts to you because that's what this is about. It's about our heart. I pray that the things in our heart that draw us to all these different actions and ideas and feelings, God, I pray that it would be submitted to you fully. I pray for men and women in this room who struggle with some of the things we talked about today, who feel condemned and feel beaten down and feel like there's no hope. God, I pray today that you would encourage them, help them see that there's hope in you. Help them see that there's a better path that they can be on than the one they're on right now. And I pray that you would draw them to that. So Lord, have your way among us today. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you say to me, Mel, you know what, what you were talking about is me. I need, I need God's forgiveness. Um, I need to lay some things down. I need my heart to be right before the Lord. I need to be forgiven. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you come forward. I just want to pray with you right where you're at. So if that's you, would you be bold enough in this moment with nobody looking around, just say, pray for me, Mel. Raise your hand real high where I can see it. You can put it right back down. Thanks. I see you over here, sir. You can put your hand down. Who else? Thank you. Yeah, I see you over there. Awesome, you can put your hand down. Who else wants to join these? I see you up in the balcony, sir. Thank you. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else? Okay. If you would, I would like everybody in the room to pray. Hey, Pastor Dick, can I get you to come up? Can you pray with our brother up here? Thank you, sir. I want every person in this room with nobody looking around just to say this really simple prayer after me. So pray this prayer out loud. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. 
And thank you for saving me by paying the price for my sins on the cross. Today, I'm brand new. I'm not who I was. I'm a new creation in you. So use me for your glory. Help me be a light in darkness. And help me never go back to my old ways or my old life. But today, I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Awesome. Now listen, if you're here today and you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I just want you to know uh, I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you. Um, Scripture tells us that you are a new creation today. You might not feel like a new creation. Your circumstances might not be new, but you are new today. And so I just want to encourage you and say, uh, we want to help you grow in your faith. We want to help you take the next step. So if you responded today and you prayed that prayer and you meant it, um, there's a card that looks like this one and see back in front of you. On one side, it says, need prayer. On the other side, it says salvation. Fill this card out for us. Drop it in our offering box before you leave today. And we're going to help you take the next step in your faith journey. Uh, we also have a way you can respond. If you can't reach one of the cards or maybe you're watching online and you'd like to respond, you can simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. And when you do, we're gonna respond back to you and we're gonna help resource you and help you take the next step in your faith journey. We want you to grow in your relationship with Christ to become who God wants you to be. So please help us by doing that. Uh, this is what's gonna happen right now. Our worship team's gonna lead us in one final song. We're gonna worship God together. And our prayer team is gonna be available on either side of this stage. So if you need prayer for any reason at all tonight, uh, today, step out as we begin to sing and worship together. Just step out from your seat, find one of our prayer team members, let them agree with you in prayer. Uh, and while we're singing, maybe, maybe uh, you don't need prayer and you're gonna stay in your seat and worship. That's great. I want you to just reflect on what has God spoken to you? Uh, maybe there's a portion of this passage of scripture that really spoke to you. Uh, maybe it was one of the things we talked about, whether it's sexual immorality and purity. Maybe it was something like, how do you use your time? Whatever it is, let the Holy Spirit speak to you about what you need to work on and deal with, what you need to submit to the Lord. And I promise he'll reveal it to you. So stand to your feet all over the room. We're going to worship together one more time. And then in just a moment, Pastor Todd will come and he'll dismiss us. Guys, I tell you this regularly and I mean it though. I love you more than you know. And I'm so honored that I get to be your pastor. God bless you.